I think authentic learning experiences are best appreciated when seen, when you can see the effect of the engagement that it has on students. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I'm your host and chief goddess of the PASS Foundation, Annalise Corbin. We know the current model for education is obsolete. It was designed to create fleets of assembly line workers, not the thinkers and problem solvers needed today. We've seen the innovations that are possible within education, and it's our goal to leave the box behind and reimagine what education can look like in your own backyard. Welcome to today's episode of Learning Unboxed. As always, I am super excited because we get to have conversations with amazing folks doing incredible work in the world of transformative education. And today is no different, except that today we are going all the way to Denmark. And I'm super excited uh, because we are going to be talking about Imagine If, uh, which is a Denmark-based organization supporting schools with reimagining education. They operate as change agents to bring engaging and personalized and meaningful learning experiences to all students through using project-based learning. And as they dream big um, and seek to understand relentlessly, challenge the system until it serves everyone. Uh, so incredibly needed. And joining us today for this conversation is Brian Harms, um, who has been uh, a teacher, a software engineer, and an advocate for PBL in education. So Brian, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. You know, as always, um, you know, several, several things about um, the work of Imagine If, first and foremost. I can't think of an organization with a cooler name than Imagine If. So we're gonna start. We're gonna start with that. The sort of big hundred thousand sort of foot view. Tell us about this this organization, Imagine If. So so why did it come about, and and essentially what does it do? And then we're gonna get into the nuts and bolts of the work that you sort of bring to this space. Sounds good. Uh, Imagine If started uh, uh, with uh, my partner and myself, uh, Lonnie. Um, uh, who were actually uh, teaching partners originally back in San Diego, California. And about uh, six years ago, I joined Lonnie uh, as a partner in, in a company uh, that she started started called uh, Imagine If. And I think uh, the, the, the name of the company, I think, really is just kind of an invitation uh, for schools uh, uh, and stakeholders in schools to, to, to imagine uh, and, and to think big about, about what they want. Uh, out of education and, and what education can can look like, and then and then try to try to engineer or re-engineer school uh, around uh, those principles or around that vision. And so, yeah. So for about the the past six years, we've been working with uh, with different schools in Denmark that are that are interested in using uh, project based learning as a as a vehicle uh, to achieve uh, the kinds of things that they're hoping for uh, in, in their own schools. Um, and we started out uh, before uh, with that company uh, before before starting uh, Imagine If doing doing similar work for a foundation here in Denmark um, that that was uh, was looking to develop uh, project based learning in, in several different schools across Denmark. Mm -hmm. So I'm super curious. Uh, lots of our listeners and have heard about High Tech High. We, we've talked um, about it over many many times over the years. So what took you from San Diego to Denmark? Yeah. Um, originally, I, I came out here uh, to work uh, with a foundation that was was doing something called Leaps, uh, which was a, another project-based initiative that was uh, funded by a, 
a mech engineering company that, that was uh, not happy with the, with the kinds of uh, students that were coming out of, out of school uh, and in terms of, of, of the kinds of skills that they had uh, when they were uh, coming into to, to the, to the Danfoss company to work for them. And I might not be completely uh, capturing their, their motivation, uh, but, but I think it was, it was similar to that, right? That, that they had um, students who were very book smart, uh, but weren't necessarily uh, good problem solvers didn't really have a, a sense of, of an engineering process when it came to, to, to solving problems. Um, and so they were looking to, to, to help schools uh, in their own area and, and around Denmark uh, develop programs that would help them do that. Um, as a result of that, the, the foundation uh, found Lonnie, my, my partner, uh, and before my, my teaching partner, uh, and when she went on maternity leave, actually asked, I was teaching in, in, at, at High Tech High and asked if I could fill in for her while she was on maternity leave. Uh, and I did. And I came out here for about, uh, for about six months and didn't think I would stay, had never really worked in education uh, with specifically with with adults uh, and and with teachers uh, that that were were looking to to do the same kinds of things that we were doing in in San Diego and and wasn't sure that I would really like it but actually found a lot of the things that I liked about about teaching kids uh, transferred to to uh, to working with with adults as well um, and so when I had the opportunity uh, decided to stay on uh, and then when I had the opportunity to to open the the business with Lonnie jumped at that too. So yeah, that's kind of gotten me where I am now. So all the stars aligned. Yeah. I love that. Let's talk yeah, a little bit. Yeah. yeah, exactly. There's nothing wrong with, you know, have, having an endeavor that is just, it has, has a journey, right? That just feels natural and right. And suddenly everything comes together and you're like, okay, this is the right thing for us to do. So um, yeah, I, I get that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny. Uh, uh, in this work, generally, I think in both in teaching and, and in and in school transformation work, I think I've, I've had hesitation about uh, about transitioning uh, from, mm-hmm. from from one thing to another. Working for the for the foundation um, here in Denmark before I, I started uh, the the company with with Lonnie, I was with a school that 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 it actually was 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 very successful in their transformation and uh, and Lonnie and I had talked about starting a, a business uh, earlier but there was a sense at that point where uh, I felt like yeah I was just really in a good place with that school and they, they were really still at a, at a delicate point uh, in, in their own transformation and and so we put the decision off for a year and uh, and kind of got to this sweet point where I feel like um, I was still wanted uh, where I was, but, but maybe not needed. And I, and I think that that mm-hmm. is kind of a, a sweet spot in, in educational transformation when you're, when you're working school by school is, is to get to the point where the relationship that you have, uh, with the school on a day-to-day basis is, is, is still, is still really positive and, and, and there's still, uh, really good things coming out of it. Um, but that, that, uh, there isn't necessarily a, uh, yeah, a, a strong need, uh, for, for you to be there, uh, anymore. And, and so yeah. that's, yeah, that's when I kind of uh, gracefully exited. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I understand that as yeah. well too, right? I, I always tell um, the schools that we work with um, at Past Foundation that, you know, my long-term goal is for us to do something magical together, but for us to also to get to the point where you, you, you no longer need us. It's not that I don't want to be with you. You know, we want to grow to develop a relationship where we love you very much. But honestly, we've not done our job. If you need us 
in perpetuity. So um, in my mind, that yeah. means that win has actually happened because long-term sustainability and capacity has been built in that place to carry that initiative forward. And that's really, really rewarding. So it's it's bittersweet, but it's yeah. really important. So I appreciate you, uh, you, you, you pointing that out. Let's dig a little bit um, into PBL. Um, so for our listeners, um, they know how how passionate I am about um, PBL, and it is is it's a it's an acronym that can mean many things to many different people and organizations, all of which are fine. Um, so let's let's really define PBL from the perspective of Imagine If and why the version that you advocate for, um, because there are nuances, uh, you know, depending on the, the place and sort of the way they think about it. So let's dig in a little bit to what does PBL mean to you? I, I'd say uh, first and foremost, uh, if we talk about an, an approach to PBL, that, that we think about it as, as a vehicle uh, to, to, to achieve uh, educational vision and educational goals. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that sounds may, maybe fluffy, but, but, uh, <laughs> but I hope that it's not in, in the sense that, that I think that, that the choices that we make with it uh, have to be in alignment with, with what you're trying to, to get out of it. So that we've seen people try to use uh, project-based learning as, as, yeah, as kind of a, a, a new twist on, on uh, maybe traditional uh, mm-hmm. lectures or I don't like the word traditional sometimes when we talk about education, but, <laughs> but yeah, but, but, but for lack of a better one, uh, traditional teaching. Uh, and, and I think there we see a lot of, uh, a lot of front-loaded mm-hmm. uh, uh, content and, and at the end of it, uh, th- there might be a product, um, mm-hmm. but, but there isn't necessarily uh, a sense that, 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 uh, there, there was a need to do the product in order to to achieve the the learning. So I think uh, first and foremost, I, th- I think we try to start with with project based learning that that's that's truly learning by by doing, uh, mm-hmm. and and uh, that's not learning after doing. Uh, that's not anything else but but learning by doing, so that it's actually the the the, the big question uh, that you're you're sitting with, uh, and the product uh, that you're developing in in order to understand that question better is is the method through which uh, you're mm-hmm. learning, um, and in terms of the values that that uh, that we're trying to achieve, um, in, in order to, to to create that kind of learning environment, you're 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 needing to to create problems that are authentic. Um, you're needing to take a, a personalized approach. You see a lot of student ownership mm-hmm. in it. It requires a lot of collaboration. So that's it. yeah. In, in, in a nutshell, uh, project-based learning for for us is is, is starting with with big, uh, authentic, uh, real questions that that are relevant uh, to students, uh, their lives, and the communities that they're um, embedded in. And and then uh, and then solving uh, or at least addressing those questions uh, through the creation uh, of a problem or excuse me of a product uh, and, mm-hmm. and the, the, a product can be a, a very wide thing but a a, a product uh, loosely defined is, is something that helps us understand that question and and if framed as a as a as a challenge or a problem uh, then then a product can also be uh, framed as kind of a solution to that to yeah that problem. absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely. And I do love that. I always say that, you know, really, really great immersive education, you know, 
absolutely has to be culturally relevant and locally derived. Um, and so I do love that sort of the framing that you put on that, right? Because if it doesn't matter to the students and the communities in which you're, you're doing that work, it's going to be really difficult for our learners to, to engage in that opportunity, which I think gets back to the five design principles that Imagine If really focuses on. And I love those five design principles because they play no matter where you are in the world and they're they are tangible in terms of creating a, a lifelong mindset to be great global citizens who, who have the ability, the skills, and honestly, the want and desire to solve problems. Yeah. No, I so so I really enjoy that. So I I would I think that you know our listeners would really love to dig into those five design principles, um, which just to sort of set the stage, and then we'll have you sort of talk through each one of them. Is the idea of um, authentic, personalized, student-owned, collaborative, and equitable? Um, so let's let's just sort of jump in. So I you know the that authentic connected to the real world. You know, it's it's interesting because we've we've we talked to a lot of folks that spend time in this space, and whether they are coaching educators or schools to be able to make this sort of uh, trans transformation, or they're the pr- t- practitioners, right? But the reality of it is that that the some elements some elements of this are really difficult for for some of our teachers in our schools to really really grasp. They get so caught up in all the things they think they're supposed to be doing that they forget about, I think, the real reason that they chose to go into teaching to begin with. And a lot of that, I think, comes back to an inability or um, a lack of opportunity maybe to, to really dig into that authentic space. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that there's that there's a lot of uh, of different pressures uh, on on educators, right? Um, and and I think I think authentic learning experiences are best appreciated when seen, when you can see the effect of the engagement that it has on students. And and, and it doesn't mean that that uh, preparing for for an exam uh, in, in context can't can't have authenticity authenticity to it. Um, and certainly in times in, in students' lives. Um, there, there is an authenticity to it, but I, I think it's, it's, it's not, it's not the whole picture. And, and I think, uh, it, yeah, I mean, it, it, it can look a, l- a lot of different ways. So in, in project-based learning, I think one of the things that, 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 that we like about it as, as a tool for creating, uh, authentic learning experiences is not only the, the, that we start with a big question and that you actually, uh, kind of connect the, the, the heart and, and the mind and the hands but that we also strive to, to, to use connections to the outside world during the project, whether that's for the, the exhibition of work, uh, where, where students are, are actually sharing uh, their work with, with uh, an audience that, that uh, well, it can be on a spectrum, right? But, but uh, Ron Berger talks about the hierarchy of, of audiences, um, that, that ideally that the work that you're doing is serving a, a need uh, within your community and, and that the work that, that you present is, is presented to them. Uh, and, and when you when you get to witness, yeah, j- just the sense of investment that 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 uh, kids have uh, when they do that, I, I think it, it makes it easier to to say that, that that's what I want to be doing as a teacher. And I think it also gets back to the authentic reasons that, that people become uh, teachers. I mean, I think it, it mirrors that, right? I think that there's, there's a lot of similarities between uh, 
between teachers and 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 the the, the reason uh, that 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 people uh, decide to to teach uh, and the things that we talk about uh, as as being important uh, for for students uh, when they're learning. So. Yeah, absolutely. And that um, that authentic audience is super, super meaningful, but it's also powerful, right? You know, and that's also, you know, a conversation that I have often, this, this notion that the audience of one, you know, that that we're producing this this work and this knowledge and we're demonstrating solely, solely for a single, single um, person, you know, that teacher, there's nothing authentic about that, right? Because as, 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 a, as a teacher, I'm never going to be a truly authentic audience, right? Because what I'm asking for students to solve for is rarely about me. Every once in a while it is. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, it's not. And therefore, it can't, you, you know, the, the teacher as the sole benefactor of, you know, what the student's learning journey is, is not an authentic audience. And, and, it, it, and I think we hamstring ourselves um, and certainly our students' learning if we restrict the audience to just us. And so that's one of the things that I always love about that conversation around, you know, authentic audiences make, make a huge difference to the outcomes. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's interesting that the, just, just the way you're talking about it now, like, I, I think you can have situations where, where, uh, you force, uh, the teacher to become the authentic, uh, audience, uh, for students work. If that's how you define, uh, what a student does and, and what school is. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but then uh, you really are kind of limiting, um, what kinds of experiences students can have. So uh, in another sense, when you, when you open that up and, and you say that's not the only uh, opportunity for authenticity uh, in, in, in a student's world, and, and that's not the only responsibility uh, or person that a student uh, is responsible to uh, as, part of their, uh, as part of their lives, then you can also use that idea of authenticity to open up uh, the, the definition of, of, of what, uh, what it means mm-hmm. to be a student um, and, and what the role of a teacher is. I mean, a teacher's authentic role can be to help connect students to, to, to these, these, uh, you know, th- these experiences in, in the world. So, Right. Absolutely. Which gets us to that next principle then personalized, right? Because the teacher plays a really, really key role in understanding how to personalize experience. So students get the absolute most, um, possible benefit and opportunity um, out of that. So let's talk a little bit about that because we really want our students to to be seen as unique individuals, but that's really difficult, especially in an ecosystem of, of mass education. So lots of times our educators really, really struggle with how best to do that. Not that they don't want to do that. I think inherently most teachers recognize, the, you know, that the need for the personalized aspect of what, the work that they're engaged in, but it can be incredibly difficult in some situations to be able to accomplish. So how does, how does Imagine If really sort of think about that? I think in terms of, 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 of how that works with a, with a project-based learning approach, I, I think, yeah, one of the one of the mechanisms is is uh, is using this idea of an engaging question that that requires uh, content uh, and understanding of content uh, that exists outside the the student, but also requires the the students to to bring uh, themselves to that question. So so you're talking about a question that that, that can't uh, be answered uh, by the student. 
uh, can't necessarily be answered by uh, anyone else but the student uh, for themselves, right? And, and it doesn't mean that it's 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 a wholly subjective question, but it does mean that it that it brings a subjective perspective uh, to a larger uh, a larger question, right? Um, so that you're not just asking. I'm spacing on, on a good example of an engaging question right now from a from a project that that people are working on. But but you're not just asking about what is a, a dystopian society. Uh, you're, you're asking uh, what would what would it take uh, for 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 me uh, to survive in, in a dystopian society, uh, or or what would a utopian society look like if I were to to, to create that, right? Uh, or, or if I were to try to recreate that with my classmates, um, mm-hmm. so that that. You're bringing the student's uh, perspective in on it. That's one aspect of personalization. Also, I think just just uh, voice and choice in terms mm-hmm. of, of products that students are creating, mm-hmm. using uh, classroom strategies that 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 emphasize um, opportunities for everyone to 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 be heard and to, and to be seen. Um, so anything from like uh, Socratic seminars, things like gallery walks that that emphasize mm-hmm. kind of different ways of of of, of being heard and being seen, I think, are, are, are other ways to, to, to personalize and, and meet the, the, the uniqueness of, of the different students in, in a room. Which then also just really capitalizes, if you will, on that student autonomy or student-owned or student-voice, whichever term you, you really want to sort of grab a hold of. We know that's critically yeah. important because that that's... That's the, in my mind, that's the tide turner, right? If you will, um, for student engagement. The minute we hand over and allow students agency, suddenly, not just all kinds of light bulbs go off, but students, you can almost watch the transformation happen. You know, suddenly you, they see themselves as valued in ways that they don't necessarily feel in just like a a regular traditional classroom where here's what we're doing today and here's what it's going to look like and here are the things you're going to learn. Here's the the steps we're going to take to get there. Um, student agency is, is a powerful motivator. Yeah. Yeah. The opportunity and the ability uh, and, and the passion to act, I, I think, mm-hmm. uh, is is a lot of uh, what I what I think about how, how we create uh, um, environments where 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 students uh, feel and and uh, and have uh, agency. I think that those things play 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 a big role. Yeah, absolutely. I mm-hmm. love that. And again, you know, just drives then the collaborative uh, n- nature of of the work, right? Um, students who have that voice and choice, right? Um, the the full-fledged agency are more likely to engage with others, right? We've we've seen those same trends. And I'm just um ticking through some of your design principles. So I wanted to make sure we had time to get to all of them, which also then gets us to one of the hardest things that folks are working on on a global scale, which is really that sort of that that equitable component to all of this. And these 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 five principles are all laid out and we've seen them in other places slightly different labels, but it's very, very consistent in a truly applied learning environment, which is exactly, you know, what we're talking about with any sort of PBL structure. So I'm super curious how you tackle this last piece in particular, because that equitable component is one that folks are really, really struggling with. How do you think about that, Brian? I think as, as a starting place, we talk about the 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 difference uh, in in uh, in project design and in school design between uh, between fair uh, and, and equitable mm-hmm. uh, and and 
the, the idea that, that, that we want to, to make sure that, that everyone uh, receives the same opportunities versus the idea that we're trying to create, uh, to create experiences uh, and learning opportunities that, that give uh, all students the, the, the opportunities and resources uh, that, that, that are, are best going to serve them. You know, it's really interesting because I think that um, the other day I actually made a statement and it was in part to be a little bit uh, of a catalyst, but I also um, honestly um, believe this, the, the notion of fair, right? This comes up all the time. And sort of my pushback as an anthropologist by training is that fairness is a myth, right? It, it It's a human construct, right? And it comes from human perspective that is really, really broad, but also very deep based on human experience. And so if we try to utilize fairness as the mechanism by which we design something to be equitable, we're always going to bump up against a set of constraints that says that fairness to me and fairness to you are not one and the same, and therefore will never be equitable. So I, I love the fact that you as an organization have put the idea of equity and equitable opportunity sort of front and center because you're really saying we have to wrestle with this as part of those bigger, broader pieces of work that we're doing on behalf of kids. And I'm super curious about how your schools that are really, you know, um, sort of eyeballs deep in their transformative process are wrestling with this concept. Yeah, I think unlike uh, unlike the other uh, design principles, it, it, or, or maybe similar. I, I think the the, the other uh, principles, uh, to to a certain extent, serve this one, right? Mm-hmm. So that that mm-hmm. that uh, if you're creating uh, opportunities uh, where where students' learning experiences are are owned by the the students, um, if students feel like those experiences are are relevant to them uh, and that they and their communities, um, that you're giving over uh, ownership uh, of the mm-hmm. process uh, to mm-hmm. to the student and to the students uh, as a whole. That that uh, for, for one thing, I, I think that it's difficult to do that and and to hold on to the idea of, of fairness. And, and and I think fairness is something that that's like you said, both both impossible, but but also uh, easy to to check to check mm-hmm. off. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that I, I I create a context for for what I believe is fair. I provide those things, and and then I'm done. Whereas, uh, yeah. It, Perfect equity is probably also impossible to mm-hmm. to, to achieve, mm-hmm. but but never really checked off, uh, and, and kind of re- requires a, a constant vigilance by uh, the facilitator teacher, but also a vigilance by the the student uh, themselves um, to, to 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 be thinking about what is it that that I need, um, uh, how do I find myself uh, in this work. I, I think again, I, I think we, we talk about projects as as a, as a vehicle to to these principles because I think that that, that it, it it tends to be well suited to to creating those opportunities for students that are that are engaging uh, and that and that do lead I think to more to more equitable situations mm-hmm. um, uh, for for kids. But again, I, I think if you're trying to use uh, project based learning uh, to to achieve. Uh, maybe higher test scores, uh, or uh, on, you know, on, on their own, right? Or 
uh, w- ways to get kind of kids really excited at, at the very beginning of something, but then, uh, but then not really give them uh, student ownership and not really give them uh, personalization. I, I don't necessarily think that 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 you'll get the same kinds of results using uh, PBL as, as you would uh, if you're trying to to create these environments that are are, are more student owned and, and are focused on student agency. I think that that it does that fairly well. Mm-hmm. Um, where it offers yeah. opportunities to do that fairly well. Yeah, and I would agree with you um, very much. Um, I always um, like to keep in mind as I sort of wrap the conversation that there are a lot of folks out there sitting there and they're listening to to the two of us have this conversation and um, they're, they're imagining um, taking some of the concepts that we've been talking about and in, you know inserting them into their own practice. And yet you and I have both been at this long enough to know that it's not always that simple. And so, um, you know, I would love to close our conversation by having you sort of share um, a sort of a moment of reflection, I guess, if you will. Because oftentimes when we start these journeys around transformative education, especially school-wide, we encounter a fair number of folks in that environment or that ecosystem, that school, however you want to define it, that, um, you know, when presented with the opportunity to start working on making this shift, their inclination is to say no. Um, because they just can't see themselves in that journey. So I'm curious, um, you know, through your own lens and your own work, how do you how do you talk folks off the ledge that says, nope, I'm not willing to 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 make the jump that's necessary, even though in my heart I know it's probably the best thing, but I just I can't imagine doing it. I think sometimes for, for me, both as a teacher and, and somebody who works in, in school change and transformation, the things that motivate me the most are are the things that that I've decided that I won't do anymore. Uh, I, I remember having uh, multiple generations of, of a family uh, uh, that my student, uh, the the parent and, and a grandparent, uh, in a in a a parent teacher conference where where uh, all of them told me that they weren't math people. Uh, as a as a reason for why um, their student uh, f- apologized to me at first for 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 seeming like not not to to really like me from the beginning, which was uh, they they apologized to, to me because they weren't weren't math people and 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 realizing that that this was three generations of a family that had all come through this this school system uh, and and between them had something like thirty years of experience with with math in, in our schools. Um, and the best that they could walk away with was that was that they weren't math people. Um, that that was the education system that I was working with. Um, that that I could see it just so clearly, and that that I didn't want to be a part of that. I didn't want to be a part of a system that that uh, that that basically could take three generations of a family and tell them that that uh, and convince them that there was that there was something fundamental that they do, uh, and and make them think that they couldn't do it or or couldn't be a part of it. Um, so, so for me, the, the the motivators are are the things that I just refuse uh, to do anymore, um, and and that was a general one, right? But 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 that was easy to turn into specific things. Uh, I'm not going to give uh, math assignments uh, that that. Uh, that uh, that that make kids feel like they they can't uh, they can't do this. I'm not going to grade in a way uh, that 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 uh, focuses on on what what kids can't do. Uh, I'm not going to uh, force kids into situations where they're only thinking that there's a that there's a, 
that there's an answer uh, and that they have to give that answer uh, right away uh, and that the answer is much more important than the thought processes that went into it. Um, so uh, I think that that's one, one place to start. Um, and I think that that's, that that's really in alignment with, with uh, transformation, at least uh, initially. Like I think when you think about change, you're thinking about how do I take a, a process and improve it? Um, and, and how do I measure that improvement? I think when you're thinking about transformation that oftentimes, especially initially, you're just talking about how successfully I've gotten away from the thing that I was, right? That, that success initially can be defined as, am I not that thing anymore? A- am I farther away from that thing? Um, and, and I think that that can be a place to, to start too. Um, so that, that, yeah, that success doesn't, you want a lot more things uh, than, than, than just that. And, and, and we all have, I think, high ambitions for, for school transformation. But one of them is just to stop doing some of the things that we have been doing. Um, and, and, and starting there can drive uh, a, a, lot of, a lot of change. Yeah, I really love that. Um, Thank you so much, Brian, for taking time out of your day uh, to join us in this conversation. Um, As we imagine, you know what? You know, imagine if, uh, imagine what's possible, imagine what's next. So um, thank you very much for that. I appreciate it. And thank you. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.